Hi, everyone. Welcome to Terror Talk with Shannon and Kathy. Hello. Today on the show, we are going to talk about vampires, which we do pretty regularly. Whenever a vampire movie comes up, we do it. But we also did an episode in 2019. It was an October episode about vampires, and I believe it's entitled Vampires Are Narcissists. <laughs> so it shouldn't be. <laughs> I try to hit it on it's, the nose. It, yeah. For the, for the vampire. I, for all the episodes, I try to. Hit it on the nose so that you know what to click on. Yeah, you didn't bury the lead. I did not bury the lead. It's like, you want to know about narcissism? <laughs> Vampires, there you go. Um, and this one, we will, we've developed some new things to talk about, about vampires. And so maybe it's just part of the vampire series at this point. Um, I know you were going to talk about, let's, so let's start with this. Um, let's start with what you were going to discuss uh, in some, a vampire community you found. I didn't personally like stumble no, upon no, them. No, no, Kathy's a um, member. Don't let her fool you. But we we're fascinated by vampires. You know, the idea of never growing old and and being met oftentimes at least in in the literature or all the, you know, mythology around it is the person tends to be turned mm-hmm. at the prime of their life so that they're eternally gorgeous and young, fit, gorgeous, <laughs> young you know, um, who, and, and this is at least in westernized culture or in America, we really worship, mm. um, that level of like youthfulness and eternity. I mean, we do things to our bodies, whether it's diets or, uh, plastic surgery or alterations to avoid the inevitable, mm-hmm. right? We all do it when we, we all know that there's this expiration date. So that's one version of, you know, vampires and what people are attracted to but then there's a there's actually a culture of people who believe that they are vampires but not in the same way that hollywood depicts this beautiful twilight vampire in fact they talk about this in the series and they make fun of it (laughs) um but more so that it's this um they're born with a, a deficiency of some sort that where they need either blood or energy or something from another being to feel energized like and, iron. and filled. Yeah. So, well, and this <laughs> they is have what, an so iron deficiency. Is, okay. So I, I found this series called uh, vampires, new Orleans mm-hmm. and, and I'll just read you the summary of the show. Okay. So what if there were, there were a show that followed the lives of real vampires all over the world. That's exactly what this project does around the world. There are people who really do feed off the energy and the blood of others to get through their everyday lives. They have communities in New York, New Orleans, Paris, and many other cities. The first part of the series follows one such community in New Orleans, which is the one that I watched. They let us into their lives, their jobs, how they feed, their code of ethics, and how the community works. We examine the vampire myths of New Orleans and the real vampire community there, finding familiar stories and unexpected realities. And they're also very connected to um, the voodoo community as well. At least this coven is. Mm-hmm. Um, and they call themselves a coven? They, Yeah. I like mean, the way that he was describing. So there's an organization called the New Orleans Vampire Association. Um, okay. And many, many of them will live together in the same homes or covens. Um, but, you know, when he talks about the code of ethics, they're basically saying, we don't just like go bite someone in the neck and feed off of them. We actually have people who... Um, are voluntary donors. Um, Mm -hmm. And there's a guy that, uh, well, let me break down these three types. So there's three types of vampires um, within this community. 
So the sanguinarian vampire who actually drinks blood, they're also called sangs or blood drinkers. Um, and these are people who feel like they need to consume mostly human blood to feel energized and full and balanced. Okay. Right? So they will um, have people who come to their clubs and things like that, that that volunteer to be a donor mm-hmm. for the sangs. And so they get their blood tested and they, they're, they're very safe about it. But I saw, you know, there's a scene where he actually um, like pricks the guy and he probably gets like a needle point of blood and he's like, oh, I'm full. That was good. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, <laughs> sorry. That is not at all. I mean, how does that, you know, and so. Well, it doesn't match with our cultural knowledge of vampires being um, insatiable. Insatiable. So that's really interesting. Yeah, he just kind of licks it off his back and takes like two little licks and then covers it with a Band-Aid and now he feels... He's good. Right. So that's so, so let me just, if I could, because I I don't know anything about this except for some, (laughs) I'll tell you in a minute. Um, There, so what I'm understanding is that in New Orleans, there is a, like, there's an association that they have, you know, they probably have a Nova, a board or a Nova people. Okay. Mm -hmm. Nova that runs this place and you can become a member and pay dues and attend this particular club that they have that Mm -hmm. they go to on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. And then within that club, uh, so you have to, I'm assuming have to be a member to attend. I would think. And there's probably some sort of vetting process because you know, a lot of people are going to try to take advantage of them or, you know, do exposés or I'm sure there's been journalists that have gone in and done their thing. And then within that community, you're saying there's three different types of kind of, just identities, let's say, yeah. within mm-hmm. that community. And the first is Sangs, right. who are the feeders. The feeders, that's okay. right. All right, so what's number two? Uh, number two are the Sighs or the Psychics, and these are vampires who feed off the ambient energy given off by all living entities. So these might be people who, um, you know, need to dance. They need to be around. They need the actual physical energy of people they need to be uh surrounded by people so extroverts <laughs> extroverts yeah i mean if you think about it th- these are really not that odd right but so, they well, feel right. that it's very different from Unique. an extrovert okay 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 and then number three well is they're a, talking about energy vampire vampires is yes. kind of what they're sort of saying okay and then the uh i think it's called the pr- pranic derives energy from or pranic um, from all, yeah, prana meaning life force. So right. derives energy from all uh, energies given off by the body, including sexual contact. So these these are people who, um, all the physical contact and sexual obviously being a big, because there's a lot of energetic exchange those during are the sex. Three. Um, the sanguine uh, actually borderline on the BDSM community, and they say that's the safest way to get blood and get their donors. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Yeah, so they follow three different, they follow a couple, um, one guy who's a Sang, mm-hmm. and I think one other guy. So series. yeah, what I hear in that, right, just so from a layman's perspective, so that like I'm the, I didn't watch this, so I'm new, mm-hmm. <laughs> but like there's people who drink blood or feed off of blood. There's people who don't drink blood, but but feed off of energy mm-hmm. and that could be 
kind of toxic if you take it too far, obviously. And then there are there are energy um, people who feed off of energy, but that has to incorporate sexual energy or like physical contact. Yeah, I think. Yeah. yeah. So they're touchers. Yeah. They're, they're touching they're you. The touchers. <laughs> Sex. Mm-hmm. The sexuality piece. So. Mm-hmm. And that's interesting because just like in any communities that that allows you to, you know, um, wear the bandana of who you are and then and then not be expected to do the other thing Mm -hmm. like, oh, I don't I'm not, not into the blood thing. Right. I just want the sex thing. Right. Or I'm not into the sex thing or the blood thing. I just want to be here and be around the energy. Yes. To feel good. That's that's interesting. And they talk about how it, you know, it blends with the goth community, but it's very different. It's not exclusive to that. And same with the BDSM community. Sounds like they have um, their own set of Yeah. And and they rules. they did a whole thing on, you know, how much they uh helped volunteer during Hurricane Katrina. You know, these are not the 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 narcissistic predatory vampires that we think about that we'll talk about in a minute right <laughs> but i would imagine there is a level of you know they do feel very unique in their own way and very special so i think maybe that's where it is because we and all have all have narcissism but of course and there's going to be people that are attracted to that community mm-hmm. because in every community we have a percentage right of people who abuse it or, you know, narcissistic personalities are going to be attracted to that community. And most likely the narcissistic personality is going to want to be all three. I also find, (laughs) I do all the things. (laughs) I do all of it. I'm I'm a a switch. I do all the things. (laughs) Um, I do feel like uh, the, Oh, I lost my thought. Sorry. I was going to mention that I actually uh, knew someone that was, I could imagine being part of this community. They weren't. I, I didn't know about this organization or this community, but I used to know someone that I, I would say most likely there was an identity issue there. Um, I'm not saying that the people of that community have an identity issue because I don't know any of them, but this person I did know. So, um, and the qualities of that were that, uh, like having sex during um, one's period yeah. type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, definitely the, what you described were making small cuts and then feeding off of um, each other in, in their partnerships type of thing. And then a sensitivity to light came up a lot, <laughs> you know, if, Honestly, I'm like, I have a sensitivity to light. Yeah, I like I wear sunglasses constantly. My eyes are really sensitive, Mine but I'm too. not a vampire. But interesting so. enough that that actually didn't come up in the document or anything about Yeah, light. they're not going for the movie tropes, but like yeah. this was more of a, they actually is, kind of mocked that. Yeah, yeah. that's, that's what, and they want to distance like, how them. are we supposed to go to work? That's that <laughs> yeah. they want to daybreakers. Uh, sorry. Um, <laughs> Good one. too many movies. Um, they, uh, they, I would imagine they want to set themselves apart from the movies that we talk about as much as humanly possible. Sure. Because yeah, they were making they're fun of Twilight le- and all They're that, trying yeah. to legitimize yeah. their lifestyle. Sure. And I totally get that. Um, this person certainly wanted that as well, except for there was this kind of um, dye your hair black. Uh, I used to dye my hair black 
for many, many years. So I'm not saying that. It's mm -hmm. just that this person I'm specifically talking about. It's all about, this together. It's not one thing. Yeah, it's yeah. all the things. It's like a sensitivity to light and not really wanting to go out during the day, kind of over-dramatizing that kind of right. part of the personality and um, alluding to the drinking of the blood. I don't know. It was yeah. a whole thing. Yeah. So I have known people that actually were not in a, something like that that sounds very much like a lifestyle that they're working on, trying to um, have a community around that isn't, from the way you described it, like not hurting anybody, it's consensual. Mm -hmm. It's very it's, consensual. It's, it's, it's their thing, just like any BDSM community yeah. or anything like and that. And that's why they're saying like the, the sanguine borderline on that community and where they get a lot of their donors people are like, voluntarily like sensation and you know they talk about how it's very safe and they get their blood tested and all of that so like there's it's not impulsive it's it but this is this is their identity right yeah. okay I, I you know it strikes me that maybe this would be an appropriate time i was looking into some information that might fit well with what we're talking about about the types of emotional vampires mm -hmm. so now we're gonna step away from this community we're, we're just gonna feed off of haha -ha, um <laughs> Jump off of that community because what you brought up about people <clears throat> emotionally or energetically feeding. So that can be a great thing where you you're just you're a part of a dance community and you dance all the time and you get very fed from an extroverted part or from a touch part or mm -hmm. we all know that those things are very healthy and healing. So I'm going to step off of that and plunge into what what we would probably call emotional vampirism. Mm -hmm. um, and we've all known those people in our lives that suck us dry, basically. But I wanted to talk a little bit about emotional vampires because I think, whereas you may not have a narcissist in your life because they aren't in everyone's life, um, you, you very you probably have emotional vampire personality traits in your world, whether work or personal life. And it might be a little helpful to know what we're talking about with that. So some things that might happen to you when you've been around an emotional vampire and, and Kathy and I can attest to this because we've had conversations about this in our own lives is you might feel really tired. Like you want to take a nap after being around them um, yes. you might feel really irritable. Your mood might just be sort of very disagreeable, <laughs> um, anxious, depressed, feeling negative. You also might feel like you've been slimed. Yeah. Like a toxicity has like come you over take you. A shower. You don't feel like quite like feel like yourself. Um, you also might want to have some carbs, <laughs> you, you know, eat a big cake. Have, it's comfort. You're, you're looking for comfort because you've been put down, sniped at, griped at, um, you know, some stuff has been slimed on you. Yeah. So I, I imagine a lot of people have felt like that in their lifetime, hopefully not on a regular basis, but if you have, that might be a sign that you've encountered somebody who's an emotional vampire. So I'm looking at um, some articles by a Dr. Judith Orloff. Love her. Yeah. So I wanted to share the way she breaks down the four types of emotional vampires. So one is a narcissist. Yeah. 
So we talk a lot about that. Their motto is me first. Everything's about them. There's a self-importance, an entitlement. They crave attention and admiration, lacking empathy, limited capacity for unconditional love. There's always conditions. I mean, I would argue there's always conditions in love or any relationship, but you know what we mean. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, A lot of times punishing, withholding, cold. So that's one type. Number two would be the victim. Mm, The vulnerable. These will grate on the poor me attitude, Mm -hmm. uh, really allergic to taking responsibility for their actions. Mm -hmm. So that's their garlic. (laughs) Yeah. Ask them to take per responsibility and no running, running away. Uh, The world is always against them and is also the reason for their unhappiness. And when you offer a solution to their problems, which I try never to do, (laughs) um, they always say yes, but, and then have some reason why the world is against them. Mm -hmm. Um, You might end up just avoiding them. They might be the friend that you avoid. Yeah. Um, Because you want to help, but they, but they don't really actually want help. I, t- I talk with a lot of clients about this. Uh-huh. They're like the like help rejecting complainer. All the time. They're like, I, yeah. I tried to do this. I tried to do that. I tried to do this. And they just don't, they don't, they won't do any of it. And they don't do any of it. And this is what they say. And then they attack me for trying to help. You know, it's that situation. It's like, yeah, they don't actually, they don't those want. are, those are amazing solutions. Yeah. Like I want to validate that you have given them excellent solutions yeah. to their problems. And should they follow those, they would feel better. However, <laughs> they mm-hmm. don't want solutions. They want your pity. That's right. They want to be the victim. And if you rob them of that identity, we've used that word a few times already today, but if you rob them of that victim mentality or that identity, you're really of no use to them. They're going to right, go And away. they don't know who they are without that. No. So you, if, if you do manage to take it away or they, they rescind it or they let go of it, they're, they're going to suffer a, a huge crisis because mm-hmm. then now they're empty mm-hmm. unless they've replaced it with another identity, which would be the way for them to get better right. or healthier. So number three would be the controller, um, obsessively trying to control you and dictate what you're supposed to be or feel. Often gaslighting comes into play. Yikes, yeah. <laughs> but just trying to control you. They have an opinion about everything. Um, they invalidate your emotions. Um, invalidation is definitely a, a huge form of control that we confront in parenting and in our practices all the time uh, in relationships, invalidating someone else. And also we all do it in a normal behavior all the time as well but we are not really meaning to really hurt that person. It's just sometimes we step in shit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they often start sentences with, you know what you need? <laughs> oh boy. And then you end up feeling dominated, demeaned, or put down. Mm-hmm. And thus slimed and avoiding that person's phone mm-hmm. calls for the rest of your life or trying to. Um, and except to, unless they're in your family, which is unfortunate. Unfortunate. Um, the number number four and the last one that she breaks down of emotional vampires is the splitter or the borderline Ooh, personality. Yeah. yeah. So, splitters see things as either good or bad. Love, hate, black, white. We talk about borderline a lot here too. Uh, one minute they ide- this is what I always think about is one minute they idealize you, mm-hmm. and the next you're the enemy if you upset them. Mm-hmm. So it's really crazy making for the partner or the friend or the family member, because 
you're always walk, walking on eggshells is a phrase that we use a lot um, with borderlines or I love you, I hate you. And they feel both things. That's why dialectical behavioral therapy is really helpful with borderline personality because mm-hmm. they have to Integrate. embrace that both yeah. are true and bring them together. Um, they seem to have a sixth sense for knowing how to pit people against each other mm-hmm. and will retaliate if they feel you know you have wronged them. I have a it's really sad when you start to see this early on in development. And I have a client right now who I've said to her mother, I'm concerned because I'm starting to see this splitting and the, the parents will say, you know, the, the dad sees one thing, the mom sees the other. And then the mom's like, they're, you know, why isn't the medication working? I said, cause this is not a, mm-hmm. a depression issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you start to see, you can see this early on if there's trauma and it's really sad. Oh my God. They keep everybody on eggshells and split parents and friends and yep. drive everybody onto an emotional roller coaster, basically. But that's all a projection because honestly, just like with the borderline condition, and I think this relates to vampires and in next week's episode, we're going to talk about um, we're going to start a series called female psychopaths and we're going to start with uh, basic instinct. Mm-hmm. So I'm in, in my head, I have all of this information and thought process around, you know, the, the vampire. So this particular kind of emotional vampire inwardly feels like they don't exist and they become alive when they're angry and chaotic. And when they cause chaos in you and can feed off of that, and that's the borderline personality. So that relates to me with vampires in particular because that's vampires. They they feel alive when they feed. Even the structure of the community that you talked about, even the structure of that is based around, hey, this is how I feel balanced. Right. You know, this is my coping strategy, basically, like in our in our talk we'd say this is what keeps you balanced and healthy like meditation or exercise. So the borderline personality is going to say, listen, rage and chaos keep me balanced. Right. Um, because otherwise I don't, I don't feel like I exist mm-hmm. unless I'm in those in kind of emotional mm-hmm. states. So I just thought that was interesting. She broke them. She has a really good book too. If anyone has a narcissist or borderline in their life and really struggling or just struggle with their own boundaries. She has a great book called um, The Empath Survival Guide. Oh, cool. And it really breaks down. Um, and what I love about, uh, and I've I've actually haven't read the book, but I've watched her speak on it and, and read uh, articles about it, is she, um, she debunks the idea that having a lot of empathy uh, should be over pathologized. Um, and I appreciate that. It's it, because what she talks about is there are people who naturally are, more prone to be empathic or highly sensitive. And it's not that that needs to go away, but it's learning how to save it for the right people and have conditions around it. So that person doesn't burn out. And, and she goes even as far into talking about how, you know, panic disorder and things like that have been so over pathologized because this idea of feeling too much or being too emotional, um, and learning really how to channel that in a way that it becomes productive versus over pathologizing it as a problem you know, and, and going into how we've become a society that empathy now is looked at, it's so over pathologized. And she's like, rather than looking at it that way, how do we help someone who is, is just naturally more empathic, really create boundaries around it and only use it on people who deserve it. Yes. Yeah. Because people with, 
without those boundaries, use it on everyone. Yeah, and absolutely. There. And then so. it's a, just a really difficult way to live. It is. You're it's just going to be super, dis- you're you're, gonna be yeah, super disappointed, disappointed by people. <laughs> and you're jaded by the world because then you have no way of filtering that there are good people and there are people who um, are healthy because you just give it all away. And then you're really going to attract the, the vampires. Yeah. Um, and then there's a resentment. It. Yep. There's a resentment that sets in as well. And it can be you, then you become toxic because right. you get very resentful of like, I'm giving away all of this love and why don't people treat me the way I treat them? And you know, that whole thing. But so what I was talking about, the um, different kinds of emotional vampires comes from her book, Emotional Freedom, Liberate Yourself from Negative Emotions and Transform Your Life, mm. which sounds super self-helpy, but these, uh, she, but it's still good, <laughs> FYI. Um, you know, when we name books, we have to sell books, right? So, yeah. But there's a lot of good stuff in there. Um, I know sometimes people get turned off by the sort of self-help titles, but... This is uh, this was some good information. I thought. Yeah, it's great. She, her stuff is really good. I think she's a psychiatrist, right? MD. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. She totally is. So yeah, she's got some really good re- literature out there. Right on. Um, what's next? Let's talk movies. Let's talk. Want to talk some movies? Let's talk about it. Uh, talk. I watched some vampire movies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, you watched a lot more than I did. There's a couple. Uh, that I saw that I had never seen. I mean, there's a bunch that we've all seen and we've all also talked about ad nauseum before, mm-hmm. you know, things that you love, the Lost Boys and Fright Night. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I watched that. those on the reg anyway, so yes. I didn't even bother. Yeah, <laughs> no, I know. And like, I, you know, I, we've talked prior, you know, I love Blade and oh, um, I love the one. old stuff too, you know, Vampire and Nosferatu mm-hmm. and all mm-hmm. of that. I, I like the, I enjoy the study of narcissism. And so I didn't know that before entering the psych world, but, but I've always liked vampire movies. So that makes sense. Right. Yep. Um, so you want to throw out a movie that you watched recently? We could chat. Yeah. So I want to bring up this one because I think it breaks some of the tropes and I know you've seen it, but daybreakers. Yeah, go for it. Um, let me just pull up my thing here. So daybreakers, Ethan Hawke, it's 2009 Australian American science fiction action horror film. Um, film takes place in a futuristic world overrun by vampires and centers around a vampiric corporation, um, which sets out to capture and farm the remaining humans while researching a substitute for human blood. Mm. Ethan Hawke plays vampire hematologist Edward Dalton, whose work is interrupted by human survivors led by former former vampire Elvis, who's played by Willem Dafoe, and he's awesome in this. <laughs> and, yeah. and Willem Dafoe, as you know, played Nosferatu in the remake mm-hmm. um, about a decade ago, who has a cure <laughs> that can save the human species. So this movie, it's horror, but it is sci-fi in the sense that it's very p- apocalyptic, and it's about uh, you know a plague or a pandemic <laughs> takes oh, over, yeah. and um, people, you know, the, the earth is now more plagued by vampires and there's very few actual humans left. And in order to, you know, survive, they need to feed off of, of 
either human blood or animal blood, they can eat the animal blood, but it's not the purest. It'd be like, you know, going out and buying a $75 bottle of wine versus a two buck chuck. Right. 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 So, um, if you get the human stuff, you're going to feel better, but then you're also kind of looked at as like a savage because you're willing to do that just for yourself. All the judginess, all the judginess. So, um, (laughs) every society has. (laughs) So as, as the movie, when the movie begins, Ethan Hawke is really in this, moral dilemma, which we don't typically see with vampires. But I think because this movie stems from they were all once humans. And even though that is true for all vampires, most movies don't start that way. The vampires have been, you know, they've been vampires for hundreds of years and they're coming back and they're, you know, there's only five of them where this is like a planet. Um, So it definitely breaks some of the tropes because what we see is a vampire with empathy. Yeah. He does not think that the only cure to this should be killing the humans left. And he's a vampire himself and he tries to help humans escape. Mm-hmm. And then Willem Dafoe has found a a cure um, and he reverses his own vampirism. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's this small group that's, and this is where it's very apocalyptic. They're kind of sticking together. It's a very Mad Max kind of, you know, and they're they're trying to fight back and get these vampires to understand that we can actually reverse this problem and we don't have to continue to kill. So there's a moral piece to it, but it also just breaks that trope of, you know, vampires no not having empathy. Let me see if I can find there a couple. Yeah. yeah I mean, I mm-hmm. prefer, I prefer, I, I definitely prefer the movies that tackle vampires and the dilemma because yeah, they're humans yeah. that were they're Usually, I mean, a lot of times they'll have like the elders that have been around for thousands of years that are more toxic than the young, young bucks. Yeah. Because the young, because vampires are people that were turned into monsters. Right. So I love that play with both in that, in that the, they'll often have a trope of the moment where the vampire loses all humanity. Like they do that in an interview with a vampire where Mm -hmm. Brad Pitt has this moment where we're supposed to believe and because he believes that now my humanity is actually gone. Right. I let it, let it go. And Um, this is what Ethan Hawke is fighting. He doesn't want to let go of that. So I put a note in here. Um, This is the vegan version of the vampire, (laughs) right? It's like, this is the guy that goes, we should not be using life (laughs) to feed. Well, and that's a trope that we see a lot, right? Where it's like, um, you know, the, the guy that just eats rats or whatever instead of, yeah. Feeding on people. So um, I don't know. I, I like the moral dilemma piece and I like that yeah. they, um, and it's also great performances. Sam Neill is evil <laughs> in this. Um, nice. Yeah. <laughs> it's cool. It's right cool. On. It's good. I, um, I'll bring up this movie called Thirst. Ooh, I almost watched that. It's so good, man. Is it? Okay. okay. So it's Korean, mm-hmm. 2009. And so subtitles... And it's longer than the average bear. It's over two hours. I think it's like two hours and 20 minutes. So you can break it up into two chunks or whatever, depending on the listener's uh, stamina, <laughs> that kind of movie. It's really good. So like I said, South Korea, written and directed by Park Chan-wook, which I will have not pronounced correctly. Um, it's loosely based on an 1867 novel uh, looks uh, by Emile Zola, Therese okay. Requin. 
I guess that's French. Anyway, the film tells the tale of a Catholic priest who is in love with his friend's wife, turning into a vampire through a failed medical experiment. Um, it's really quite good. It won the jury prize at the 2009 Cannes Film Festival, mm. FYI, if that okay. gives you any kind of like level of, you know, credibility. So what I really liked about this is because it was this failed medical experiment, there's a lot of different ways. Like, so he gets pustules all over him. Like Mm -hmm. when he goes into the sun type of thing, Um, there's just some, some unique things. Um, It's got a sense of humor. So for those of you might be really familiar with Korean film, like it feels like a Korean film. (laughs) <laughs> it's got it's got this and and I don't know how best to describe that except for to say that it's got the and maybe maybe American audiences right like general American audiences are more uh, understanding of what that is with recent very famous movies but it's got a sense of humor but it's also really kind of gross <laughs> there's some really like the grossness of humanity like there's a couple of sex scenes in this movie that are long yeah, and really show kind of what sex, certainly it's a movie sex scene. So we're much grosser in real life when we mm-hmm. have sex, but like that goes on and on and it really shows the insatiableness of it. It's very authentic. It looks like they're really having sex. Like there's those two actors were incredibly intimate with each other just the way they kiss, the way they, it's just got a real reality feel to it. I feel like foreign films are unapologetic that way. Like yeah. Blue is the Warmest Color, which I think was an overrated film personally, but there's that rawness, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, sure. all of that. I think American audi- filmmakers off, this is a general statement, Yeah, but we like to make things airbrushed and cleaner and pretty and waxed. And well, we're more narcissistic as a country. Yes. And so what you were saying before, as far as like what vampires are is they want to like die when they're there at their most beautiful and be perfect forever. You know, America has that disease as well. And right. so in our movies, we, we try to be perfect. Whereas uh, other countries, I don't think have that problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and maybe that's our youth, you know, as Americans, but, um, I would really recommend this movie because the the humanity between these two people. Now, horror fans, don't get me wrong. Lots of gore, <laughs> lots of gore, lots of uh, horrific acts being done. I mean, not lots of gore like you know Friday the Thirteenth gore, but there's there's gore, there's blood, there's killing, there's um. A little bit of CG at a few points that's really creatively done. And just the relationship that evolves over two and a half hours with these two people and the different stages they go into, like when they get mad at each other, like when people get mad at each other and they have supernatural powers, like how that goes awry. Mm. It's just really, it's good. So I'd recommend that film. Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's my new thing to say, Oh, have you seen thirst? (laughs) It's funny. I looked at it a bunch of times. I'm like, Maybe I should watch that. And then yeah. I, I don't know. But sometimes those kinds of movies have to come from a recommendation. Yeah, maybe. Because you're like, I don't know. Um, Got another so, one? Yeah, there's one that I I, I, I kind of want you to watch <laughs> at some point. But She's giggling. Maybe I'm, you've already, I'm afraid. <laughs> maybe you've already seen it. It's an, it's an Austrian film, so it's subtitled. Um, 
It's so fucking funny. It's called Therapy for a Vampire. Mm -mm, I seen um, it. it takes place in Vienna in 1930. <laughs> After 500 years of marriage, Count von Kosnum has lost his thirst for life. His therapist, Sigmund Freud, has a plan <laughs> suggesting course. he commission a portrait of his wife from Victor, a handsome young painter. But after meeting Victor's girlfriend, the Count becomes convinced that she's the reincarnation of his true love, includes English subtitles, blah, blah, blah. So it's sort of a, it's, it's a, it's a comedic play on there's bits of Bram Stoker, uh, uh, storyline in there. Yeah. I can hear that already just from your, description. so his, yeah, Lucy is the name of, of Victor's girlfriend who he falls in love with. Right. And so we know Lucy's a, a big part of, mm -hmm. and then, um, also with, uh, we see this in Fright Night too, which is, you know, the <laughs> idea where he sees the painting and he falls in love with the woman in the painting, which is a very Bram Stoker mm -hmm. kind of thing to do because we see it with Mina in Bram yeah. Stoker's Dracula. So it is so flipping funny. <laughs> I mean, the the fact that, you know, the, so, and, and the well, wife- Well, there's a therapist in it, so. <laughs> well, and, and Freud, and Freud's a mess. He's a complete mess and he's hysterical yeah. in this. And cool. he's given everyone sedatives to calm down. <laughs> and, and Victor's his uh, his assistant. and and But the wife- Wife, the countess, because she can't see herself in the mirror. She constantly needs him to reassure her of her, her beauty. And he's just so over it because he's in love with Nazila, who oh. ends up being Lucy, you know, 500 <laughs> years later, whatever. It's really funny. Oh, um, and that's it, cool. Yeah, I just, it's one of those that like, I just kind of stumbled upon. Yeah. And um, just watched it right through. It's only like an hour and a half and I really recommend it. It's hilarious. Okay. Yeah. I will take a look at that because I, uh, I definitely have been enjoying this year something that I haven't ever really enjoyed too much. Like I've known a few horror comedies that I really love, like Shaun of the Dead is yeah. right up there, but that's up there for a lot of people. So I've watched that one repeatedly, but I'm, I've been watching more horror comedies. This one would be for people who love what we do in the shadows. Yeah. This yeah, would yeah, be yeah. that same type of humor. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Both the movie and the series are so yes. good. So if you like that, if you don't like that, you're probably not going to like this, but if you like that, I think you'll really like this. Cool. Um, I guess I would say I did watch a new, a, um, new to me horror comedy called Eat Locals. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds funny. It's pretty good. So it's it's action comedy horror 2017. It's called Eat Locals with an S on the end. Um, it's British. Okay. So it's not laugh out loud hilarious. It's British humor, which I I love. I find very hilarious and but, smart. But again, that's not everyone. So. Facing difficult times, and with their glory days long gone, the eight undisputed British vampire overlords gather up <laughs> for their semi-centennial meeting. <laughs> Love that. Let's get together every 50, 100 years, yeah. 500 years. Um, however, before the break of dawn, there will be blood and corpses, lots of them. So basically what happens is, is these eight um, very old vampire British vampires, they call themselves overlords, I guess. They get together in this farmhouse <laughs> mm -hmm. and they're having their meeting. And what you realize throughout the meeting, throughout the movie is like, well, how did they come to acquire this house? And then there's, of course, there's going to be a human interjected into the situation. And then you realize that they are found out. And so then 
the major, you know, um, bad guy becomes, you know, the military outside that has, you know, figured out where they are type mm-hmm. of thing. And so that's the basic tenor of the movie. And then, you know, hilarity ensues. Eat locals. Yeah. And available. It's on Prime. So okay. not hard to watch, but a very enjoyable 90 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> um, not like laugh out loud like Shaun of the Dead or whatever, yeah. but I, I did laugh clever. several times. And it has uh, vampires of varying degrees of age and stuff. Okay. You know, whereas Americans make vampires often all beautiful or what have you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, we got ages and personalities cool. and it's yeah it's fun that that's the fun thing about horror comedies right right it doesn't they don't take themselves as seriously that's yeah for sure. they can kind of bend the rules a bit <laughs> the rest of the stuff you know i almost watched um a movie called crimson winter and then i decided not to because it looked terrible <laughs> but the re- <laughs> that's a good reason not to yeah, watch it <laughs> I, I just was like uh, that's that's like an hour and a half of my life i won't get back but i did go back and watch you know clearly all of the the cold ones, you know, Bram Stoker's is like on my playlist all the time. And I just think Gary Oldman's so brilliant in that role. And it's still one of the more terrifying ones. And then clearly 30 days a night is another really good one. Oh my God. I love that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The ones I've repeated, uh, this season, I watched blade blade. So good. the very first blade yeah. that I, and I hadn't watched that in a long, long time. I realized, cause I forgot a lot of it. I actually watched the first underworld. Ooh, I almost watched that one too. Yeah, I have like that one on DVD. Five of those, but mm-hmm. I watched Underworld. I watched Let the Right One In, which That's is one my too. one of my top yeah. fives. I actually watched Interview with the Vampire, which I hadn't seen yep. in a really long time either. Still, that one still holds. And I watched um, Bram Stoker's Dracula and some others. I watched some ones I didn't really care for. There's one called byzantium that's on a lot of people's mm-hmm. lists um from wasn't, 2012 wasn't good i it was fine yeah <laughs> but i but i you know hmm. yeah i ugh, it was a little hmm. needed an edit okay as i say but the other one i would want to oh and I, I ended up watching vampire's kiss with some people from oh, the discord yeah. which is just a ridiculous yeah. movie yeah like it flopped at the box office and you can see why yeah but it's also just vintage nick cage oh like my God. You yes just, it's, you see where it all came from yeah <laughs> and a, and a that, fun ride that and fast times at ridgemont high a pretty fun ride um but not up there with raising arizona or <laughs> some of my other favorite crazy times with nick cage but um i i wanted arizona is the best i know i love that movie so i wanted to mention that i also watched a a film called um oh my gosh I'm only lovers left alive, which is from mm. 2013. Okay. And it's, um, Jim Jarmusch's, um, offering to the vampire story. So I like his filmmaking. Not everyone does. So, okay. <laughs> so, but this has Tom Hiddleston and Tilda Swinton in it. Oh, she's great. So a depressed musician reunites with his lover. Um, Though their romance, which has already endured several centuries, is disrupted by the arrival of her uncontrollable younger sister, who's played by Mia Wasikowska. So what I will say about this movie is that it's two hours of, it's like, 
It's like nothing really happens. Not not a ton happens. I okay. mean, this is typical. Tilda Swinton. <laughs> yeah, right. And Jarmusch, however you pronounce oh, that. Jim Jarmusch? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And typical, that filmmaker. Yeah, Jarmusch, like it really is like moving through mud. It's a meditation mm-hmm. is what I, is how I reflect on his films. And for this one, if you like vampires and you want it and you you know today i'd really like to spend a couple of hours with some vampires who are super cool (laughs) you know like this is the kind of thing where about um i think i was i was watching it with um this guy ice from our discord channel so if you're not a patreon if you're not a patron of our patreon uh you wouldn't know this but we have a discord um channel hooked up to our if you are a patron you can become a member of our discord anyway he and i watched this movie together at my suggestion and we both probably about an hour in it was like i don't really know what's like nothing's happening <laughs> that's and a jim I'm, jarmusch film and i'm kind of lulled and then i think it was ice who was like but i really kind of want to stay in this world forever <laughs> oh that's funny and that's how it felt it was it's like you could decide to be bored Like you could make that decision like, oh, this is boring. I'm going to turn it off. Or you could be like, you know what? These people are super cool. I just want to hang out with them for some longer. So that's what that is. I personally enjoyed it Mm -hmm. and would recommend it. And then, and then I also like, you know, I Googled a lot of, you know, top 10 vampire movie type of things. And it makes a lot of people's lists. I think sometimes movies like that though, where um, mm-hmm. we're we're overstimulated by film a lot, and, yeah, and we need sure. that. But there are there have been films where I'm I know that feeling of I'm sitting there and I'm going, I don't know why I like this, <laughs> but I, I do, don't, and I don't know why I have zero desire to get up from the couch or my bed <laughs> or whatever and and take a break because I just like that meditative word you use. Yeah, there's something really calming, and I will say the movies that I have seen, even though those movies are really bizarre and move slow. Mm-hmm. Um, they are, they do kind of capture you in a weird way. Well, that's the other word that I think his filmmaking is perfect for vampires is because, I mean, if, if we really had vampires in our world and they lived among us, wouldn't they be captivating? Yes. And these people were very captivating. (laughs) That's right. And so, yeah, it just made sense to me. Um, and, and on, and on the flip side of that, I watched a movie called Steakland. Oh, from 2010. And um, it was a it was also, I think, at the Toronto Film Festival at one point or what have you. It, it's Kelly McGillis is actually in it oh, as, wow. a, as an older person. Like she actually looks like an older person yeah. and she does a great job. But this movie is not on the boring spectrum. And I felt attacked (laughs) i felt personally attacked by this movie why is that because it was it was i felt overwhelmed by it Mm. um a lot of people love it especially a lot of people who like action and killing and horrific situations but this is definitely one of those ones where it's not it's it's not it's definitely not um like exploitation but some of the things that they do in it are very true to life in how people would act if there was really a vampire apocalypse. Okay. And so, you know, rape and murder and killing of children and people having kind of like Nazi-esque organizations because I think one of the things we know about vampires and one of the things that people are fascinated by vampire movies is because it really speaks to our fear of being controlled and taken over. Mm-hmm. 
because that's what it is. You're controlled. You're unwilling. You know, that's the trope. Like you're unwillingly turned into a vampire and then you have to follow vampire rules and you're controlled by your insides and who you are. Mm -hmm. And I think that's like, that's culty. That's, you know, if there's a Nazi faction to something and, you know, they rise to power and and all that, like it feeds into our fears. Mm -hmm. And this movie certainly does that. It's a good movie. I would say it could be on sort of a lot of people's lists of excellent vampire movies. And when I mentioned that I was going to watch it, a lot of people were like, oh, that's a great movie. That's a great movie. But like halfway through, I personally, for whatever reason, just got a little, whew, yeah. like, okay, maybe I'm just not in the <clears throat> mood to be bludgeoned to death today okay um the plot revolves around an orphaned young man being taken under the wing of a vampire hunter known as mister and the battle for survival in their quest for a safe haven also it came out right around the walking dead when the walking dead started it is definitely and i said this when i was watching it it is definitely the walking dead for vampires oh that's interesting in a movie yeah because that's exactly what they're doing right mm-hmm. so the walking dead starts out with a group of people coming together and then trying to find a safe haven mm-hmm. and that's exactly what these two people are having now i really liked the relationship of this mr the vampire hunter guy and the young guy and the young kid but then i just it got to be yeah it was a lot <laughs> there just, was a lot just like the walking dead after eight seasons or whatever i think i finally went okay well and maybe because the first season of the walking dead and this is an aside about zombies obviously but the first season of the walking dead really affected me yeah it was and powerful. i won't and i haven't watched it over again which i probably should one day it's just such a good because i was so emotionally affected by it and so maybe that might have had something to do with why i didn't want to <laughs> yeah first three seasons of that show it was like oh yeah Super brutal powerful. but yeah. okay so yeah vampires we just love the vampires they live among us they do they definitely live among us so come back on friday for a shrink chat show because we have some more a little bit more vampire talk to we discuss do. so do that for us would you thanks so much for listening this is terror talk my name is shannon and i'm kathy sleep safe everyone We hope you enjoyed this episode of Terror Talk. Please check out our Patreon page, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We'd love to engage with you as part of our community. Please take a moment to leave us a comment on any of our social media. Thank you so much for listening. And once again, sleep safe.